RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Rav Aurora's journey has been nothing short of exceptional. Marked by notable achievements and recognition in the media world, his path to prominence includes a series of viral podcasts featuring influential figures such as Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin. Those conversations have showcased Rav's ability to engage in thoughtful and thought-provoking discussions, transcending the boundaries of conventional discourse. But, there's a, a but however here, it's not just in the realm of podcasting where Rav has left his mark. He's uh, written for and published in prestigious platforms such as the New York Post, Globe, and Mail. But recently, I guess talking about COVID has, uh, well, he's seen a, or experienced a different side of being a media person. His latest or one of the recent Substacks article is how major media outlets suppressed by COVID journalism. And Rav joins us now on Reality Check Radio. Thanks for beaming in, Rav, from Vancouver. Hey, Paul. Happy to be here. Okay. It kind of sounds like everything was bobbing along quite nicely until until COVID, right? It's you're not the only one. It's sort of a, a line in the sand that many have experienced. So what was the difference between pre-COVID and post-COVID for you as a journalist? Yeah, well, un- unfortunately, it, it wasn't as simplistic as that. It was uh, okay. things before were were difficult too. And trying to make it in the, in the industry as a freelancer is quite challenging because you, you don't have an institution to rely on that's guaranteed to publish you. You have to continually pitch your content to various editors and publishers across different platforms. Um, but for me, I had just gotten very fortunate that I had published one essay in particular in 2020 called The Fallacies of White Privilege and How Identity Politics is Eroding Our Discourse in the New York Post. And that was in the aftermath of the George Floyd incident. Right. And the consequent uh, protests, riots, and calls for racial justice across the Western world. And that essay just took off like wildfire and everyone was reading it and lots of people were responding and engaging. And then suddenly I just came across this, this thing like, oh, wow, I can, you know, I can actually write about these topics and have something interesting and insightful to say. And then I just started writing more and more and more. And it, it was still hard because you you know, trying to get the hang of what, you know, what's the story and what's not and what, you know, what's the right angle and what's not was still, you know, to this day is somewhat challenging um, at times. Um, Although I I would say, you know, as a writer, sometimes you fall into the, 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 the selfish sort of egotistical trap of everything you think of, as an article is, you know, should be published and should be amplified. Why why are they saying no? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's, you definitely run into that challenge quite a bit. Um, Well, what was it about what happened to George Floyd? It's really interesting because on one hand, you know, um, he was a guy who looked like a crimp basically, and probably many people in the street have been taken down by a cop like that. And it was a terrible outcome, but it seemed to, it seemed to have such a huge impact. Why was that? Was that just timing or something? Well, I think it was the the flagrance in which it was done, you know, the knee on the neck for, um, I forget how much time, seven, eight, nine minutes yeah. in, in front of a camera and yeah. not, and, you know, not actually uh, responding to, you know, the, the people's uh, pro- protestations at the time for, you know, letting go or doing something in a more civil or more 
uh, calm manner, but instead the cop just, just, just kept his knee there. And it's, it's challenging to understand that psychology exactly. I mean, it's, I mean, on, on the one hand, it is quite difficult to look at that incident as just pure cold blooded racism because the guy knows he's being videotaped. And if, if he's trying to do something, you know, in his mind, that's clearly unethical and barbaric, um, he should have stopped, but some, something happened, some form of, of just social media um, outrage versus psychopathology versus just someone high on their own power and not being diligent and careful and ethical in, in what they're doing led to that incident. But beyond that specific incident, it's it's just the fact that it was on all over social media and yeah. that the this powerful minority of social justice activism is 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 the exact opposite of a minority when you're talking about the New York Times or you're talking about Harvard University or major scientific journals there that you know what in actuality is kind of a minority coalition is actually this powerful tyrannical mob that can just you know control what people think and censor can cancel people can propagandize and actually conduct itself in a way that is ironically what it's trying to fight, which is this evil capitalistic system that's, you know, very much corrupt and unethical. And, you know, it's we, there's just so many different news stories recently that's come out on this topic of like someone like Ibram X. Kendi, the prominent anti-racist scholar who, you know, fired, you know, several members of his own staff and accused of mismanaging funds and not delivering on promised projects. I mean, same with the whole BLM thing, right? The BLM, it turned out to be a, a very corrupt uh, organization where... Well, the George uh, Floyd thing made BLM, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed to be really turbocharged BLM. Yeah, well, BLM existed before, and so they yeah. had the core the core founders, um, Patrice Ken Cullors is uh, one of their names, and someone else whose name I'm not remembering. And so th there always was this core group, but yeah, I mean, George Floyd definitely took it to a new height, um, and in combination of the media's uncritical and overly sympathetic kind of propagandistic coverage of BLM, rather than a fair-minded survey of you know what's good about this, what's well, we, we had school students here, here in New yeah. Zealand putting, just to, so you know the reach of it, you probably already know, yeah. but, you know, BLM banners up in their classrooms and their school assembly halls, you know, um, it, it just, it just took, it went off, you know, it just took off and there wasn't too much thinking or, you know, analysis or, or accurate reporting, even though, like you say, what we see, see on that camera is, is horrible. I mean, it, it's horrible. But George Floyd was just happened to be the person it happened to. It wasn't kind of about him almost, was it, as an individual anyway? Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it was a larger cultural movement that uh, I think has just misinterpreted uh, and um, just misunderstood the nature of racial disparities and group outcomes. There's this very bizarre... Um, general view you know, without getting too deep into the specifics but there's this general view of like every disparity in outcome is the product of of racism homophobia misogyny yeah. sexism etc yeah. when in reality these things are very very complicated and 
oftentimes, you know, in, in some cases, you might find injustice, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 50 years ago, but that injustice is no longer being perpetrated at that level now anymore. So there's this weird situation where it's like, okay, yes, there was injustice and harm um, perpetuated, you know, in 1974 or you know, legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, um, redlining, etc. But the problem for or the, the the reason why, you know, um, Google or uh, Wells Fargo or some you know, prominent law firm or scientific journal is not hiring black, you know, black Americans at a rate proportionate to their distribution, of the population is racism, right? There can be mm-hmm. other causes for that particular problem. And yet there's this very bizarre anti-rational perspective that um, the reason why there might not be equal equal outcomes is because at that point, you know, Wells Fargo or some scientific journal is actively discriminating against blacks rather than there being the, you know, what an actuality is a kind of general um, lack of, of of talent proportion to the population that yeah. arguably does have to do with the fact that in the past, some of these groups, you know, were not given equal opportunities. And so therefore you have two groups on average, which is a broad simplification because you're going to find very intelligent, sophisticated, high profile black intellectuals. And you're going to find, you know, homeless drug addicted white people. Like it's, it's, it's very complicated, but it's, it's, you know, on average, certain groups in the past have been underserved and other groups have been uplifted, but that that's a very, that's a very complicated story than what progressives want to talk about. So you could suggest, even though, you know, you, you're, pushing it up close to the edge of the envelope, I suppose, you could suggest those story themes and ideas to editors and they would go, okay, all right, Rev, yeah, we'll go with that. But then you come to something like COVID and the obvious, I mean, there's so many obvious parts of that story to cover and to try and uh, unpick. What happens in that situation then? Yeah, well, what happens then is uh, something that, caught me quite off guard and I'm I'm not sure if I should have expected it or been more um you know been better to anticipate this but the response was overwhelmingly we're a pro-vaccine publication we're not gonna encourage any vaccine hesitancy we don't want to promote anti-vax hysteria our publication wants to encourage vaccination and publishing this would go against that particular narrative so here, here I was in this place of being this sort of certified heretic, but not being afraid of pushing back against mainstream liberal orthodoxy. But on on this front, pushing back was just not allowed in a way that uh, I, I just hadn't experienced prior to that point. So that would have come as a bit of a surprise, I would imagine. Uh, you must have done a lot of thinking about this, and I've read some of the quotes that you've included that came back from editors. They're quite stunning to, to read them. To, there seems to be just a, a, a kind of like an automatic acceptance of a narrative, an orthodoxy, a belief in, I don't know, what uh, institutions, pronouncements of institutions without any thinking about it. I mean, how do we, we know this has happened. It's happened here. It's happened all over the place. Have you figured out why that might be yet? 
why we had that level of suppression. Well, yeah, why why people, you know, hard-bitten editors in the in yeah, the well, news business who who have probably seen themselves as, you know, um, you know, standing in a righteous way for the principles of journalism yeah. and the truth and everything, and and they sort of like, like roll over the first time, the sort of like a like a dog that gets you know its tummy scratched, you know. Yeah. Well, there's one obvious explanation um, that I more recently discovered, and I'm uh, I'm uh, uncertain why it it, uh, it it took so long to get to me. But in any case, um, there was a freedom of information request filed by the Blaze media outlet in uh, 2021 at some point and uh they found that top media outlets were paid by federal government agencies to actively promote the covid vaccine okay right yeah so top lead uh, leading outlets the new york times the the washington post the atlantic etc i'm not sure uh, you know which outlets exactly it covered, but I believe it said the New York Times, Washington Post, and and many, you know, many, many relevant places. I think this is pretty, pretty, pretty widespread rather than just um, isolated in certain areas. So you know that that's one easy, obvious way of uh, understanding what I experienced is that there, these people were actively paid to promote this narrative, um, but. It's it, it it does go deeper than that in some cases, because in some cases, I know for a fact that these publications were not paid because they were of a different of a different kind. And I'm being deliberately vague and not at all naming anyone because that, that would bring more problems than it would solve. Them. Yeah, so, I understand that. Yeah. 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 Um, but but for some of the places, they generally just got captured and kind of parasitized by these bad ideas and. They actually believed sincerely that talking about vaccine side effects and addressing concerns about vaccine safety were were wrong and that vaccines were overwhelmingly beneficial and safe and effective for virtually everyone. And uh, so any kind of deviation from that perspective is is just completely incorrect and incoherent. And the the level at which, you know, many people supported this view and and failed to be skeptical and critical like people like sam harris who i had trusted so much and held so much respect for in so many other fields was quite quite shocking but i think some of it at least has to do with fear because those people explicitly say like well yeah you know we, you know we spoke out about islam and blm and race and identity politics but here lives are on the line and vaccines save lives and so we we had to pick one choice are you going to be are you going to be for saving lives or, or against saving lives are you going to promote the vaccine which is going to save lives or not promote the vaccine in which case you're not saving lives and so therefore we're going to do the 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 former which means we're we're on the, the moral high ground which I think personally is, is just a wrong moral calculus. Do you think it's all about being on the moral high ground? Um, For someone like I, Sam Harris anyway, you know, to I, I, I don't know him personally, but I've seen quite a bit of his material and, and I get the feeling that he's the sort of guy who would like to be or have people think of him as being, you know, on the moral high ground. Yeah. I mean, a large part of his work is having high ethical standards and being intellectually honest, never lying, not even white lies. You know, there's a whole book on 
why you shouldn't even tell white lies, right? If someone, you know, like small little things, you shouldn't lie about them at all. And about, we should be honest about the facts and science and not, you know, believe things that, you know, may have the right outcomes and behavior, like, you know, religion, but that we should actually believe what's true and not lie to ourselves and lie to our children. Shouldn't believe in useful fictions like religion, right? All, all of that is, is respectable and commendable and, and interesting. And what drove me to his work alongside his, his work in uh, uh, mindfulness meditation, he has a fantastic waking up app, um, which I think is the greatest spiritual resource on the planet for exploring and grappling with some of our core spiritual um, uh, problems about this, the self, the nature of the ego, the nature of our connection to others, our interconnectedness of our, of our environment and uh, our obsession with our own thinking, etc. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I guess all, all of that kind of collides with the COVID stuff in that he wants to be ethical. He wants to be right. He wants to help people. Um, and, and I think he really is genuine. Like he, he's really good hearted and wants to do good, but I think he's been the victim of bad and terrible ideas. Do you, right? do you think he's realized that though? Just using him as an example. I mean, there are others, but do you think yeah. there is a like come to Jesus moment where you, where someone like him, uh, I haven't seen, any evidence of it and what he's been saying he's been kind of doubling down on other things recently but where you actually go oh wait on <laughs> i see i completely got that totally wrong and just you know admit it yeah. no 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 he's not he hasn't got to that point he released a recent podcast episode a postpartum on covid where he was doubling down on his views and in some cases saying that you know at a certain point things were right. And then at a certain point, things were wrong. And I was right at the time to promote the vaccine, to promote X, Y, and Z, uh, and hold these positions. And later on, they evolved the information. That sounds like an excuse to me, right? That's just an excuse. I mean, I was right at the time, even when I was wrong. I mean, how does that work? Yeah, no, I, 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 (laughs) yeah, I, I think it's inconsistent with the evidentiary burden I, I I think that, you know, he, he was wrong to promote the vaccine on his podcast in the 2021 in the way that he did. Um, and he, he was wrong at the time, right? You, you, you don't push and recommend and promote experimental uh, pharmaceutical products on your podcast when you're not absolutely sure about yeah. safety. I mean, it's you're falling for the same you know, on the same continuum of sort of extreme dogmatic religion that has no evidence you know, you're, you're, you're falling in that same continuum with a product that, you know, had some evidence of, but, but everyone looked at the data honestly and critically. It was like, okay, this, this is first three months evidence of lowering trans of, of lowering symptomatic infection, not even transmission. And that was extrapolated to being a safe and effective vaccine when neither safety or efficacy in the long term were proven. Right. And so there was this kind of bizarre faith in Moderna and Pfizer and the FDA and the CDC that just crumbled instantaneously in a way that um, is quite, quite damning and damaging for, for someone like Sam, uh, given the fact that he hasn't uh, acknowledged his errors on that topic. Um, Some of the (laughs) response, excuse me, some of the responses you got from, you know, um, editors or people that you're pitching stories to were quite punitive. I noticed one, you know, involving talk of Novak Djokovic 
was kind of along the lines of you know if people if don't get vaccinated you know if they lie if they make their bed they can lie in it kind of thing you know quite dismissive quite well kind of nasty in a way and you're talking about one of the greatest sports people ever on the planet there i mean yeah, uh, the, the sort of uh, punitive attitude towards, you know, uh, hostility towards anyone who might have another view. Yeah, I mean, it's it's again driven from this uh, view of the vaccines as being this, this sacred product that is so safe and effective that everyone should take. And that, you know, if if you know, if, if you don't believe in, you know, in healthy eating and you know living you know a healthy lifestyle eating nutritious food exercising sleeping well then you know you're going to die and that you know like those, those are the consequences right like it's, it's that kind of mentality right if you don't follow the obvious healthy thing to do the thing that's good for society and good for yourself and you reap uh the consequences of that so novak djokovic he should be getting vaccinated it makes sense the science is there the safety is there he's not getting it then fuck him that i mean that those are the consequences right but yeah. when, when in reality i mean i mean it's it, it's it's honestly like frustrating to keep talking about the data all the time but it, but it was obvious someone like novak djokovic had basically nothing to benefit from the mrna vaccine right yeah yeah that's that. so what did all this do to your you know your budding career it sort of put it on hold or did you have to um Sort of yeah. find more creative ways of 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 coming to story ideas and getting them out there. What, what happened? Yeah, I mean, it it did put it on hold, and I do remember those months in 2021 where I was just like banging my head against a wall, like, "What? Where the fuck do I go? I want to write, I want to publish these pieces. No one's publishing them. What do I do?" Um, and uh, it it, it was. Yeah, it it was very frustrating for a number of months. You know, wasn't able to to generate any income or because I wasn't publishing any articles. Um, but uh, you know, eventually, you know, so I I really can't complain at th- at this point in my life. And you know, this happens when you you go through hard times, you find the silver lining, and it it, it ends up benefiting you in the long term, despite the short term harm. And so for me, I eventually migrated to Substack. Um, the illusion of consensus, which is where I'm right now with uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, my colleague, and that's where... a well-known name, by the way. We know that name here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jay, Jay is excellent. So, yeah, Jay and I, um, we, we, uh, we were discussing some kind of joint venture, and we, you know, the the illusion of consensus. That's that's one of his terms he's used in Congress to talk about uh, the 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 false consensus in science. And uh, he and I just teamed up and partnered and created this new platform. And it's it's been um, quite incredible to see how much it's grown um, over the past couple of years. And I, I to be completely honest, w- would have always preferred writing for like The Atlantic or The New York Times, like writing for someplace, because I'm I'm someone that has so many ideas that I need someone to kind of keep me in focus. And so I, I was always allergic to this idea of like being my own boss and doing my own Substack and like it's like I, I really would like to work with someone for someone and and you know d- discipline equals freedom as they say as Jocko Willink says so you want some level of discipline and some institutional checking for you know what you're doing um, but I was just forced to go to Substack and 
I, I really can't complain at this point with the amount of uh, support and uh, uh, praise that we've received. And uh, it's, it's, it's just been great to see the amount of um, coverage. I mean, clearly you, you found those pieces on our sub stack. So we did. It's, it's doing well. I'm, I'm curious how you found out about it in, in New Zealand. Was it just circulating on Twitter or? I think it just came up on one of my colleagues uh, feed somewhere and uh, they were curious. We're not into it. And next thing was, Hey, we, we should talk to this guy. So that's how it happened. Um, and right. it's interesting what you say about, you know, um, coming out of a situation where, you know, you, you wonder, you know, you're sort of stalling around a bit, incomes low, what's going to happen. Many people, we've talked to a lot of people, you know, in, in music business, media business that have been through this and, and the, um, I won't use that word consensus because it's not a good word anymore. But it, it seems that most people have well have told me that that I'm in a better place now. It's kind of better than it was. It's it was a bit of a haul at through that, but uh, come out the other side and and you're almost surprised that it's turned out the way that it has. Do you have a sort of similar view to that? Well, you've just said basically that, but um, that, that does seem to be the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, quite liberating to be independent, hmm. um, on the one hand, um, and having a direct relationship to your audience means you have more of an identity, more of a personality, more of a individual ownership of, of your, um, uh, of your ideas and what you're putting out there. So it's, it's not as branded as, you know, this is the Atlantic. This is the New York Times. You're not kind of subsumed into. The and, and you've got some credibility, right? You got some credibility because people know the story and they've seen how it's turned out, and you're still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You you gain more uh, recognition, and uh, you're more of your own individual unit rather than part of a larger whole. And obviously, it's it's not. There's always trade offs. Um, but I, but but you know, I, I guess I. Uh, on net, it is uh, overall a good thing, I think, for me in the long term. I mean, at, at some point, you know, no no one works by themselves, right? Like, at, at some point, you need collaborators, you, you need, you know, projects, you need you know, people to, to help you out in certain ways. So at, at whatever point I transitioned to uh, doing e either documentaries or more interestingly, um, doing acting and creating my own TV show, you know, screenwriting, um, that, that's, you know, one of my ambitions. So at, at some point I'll be part of some yeah. larger, to, yeah, I mean, yeah, to, to create something that's reflective of the environment of, of my own personal, spiritual, religious, cultural, and political explorations. I'd, I'd love to, uh, create, um, a, a TV series of some kind in, in a fictional format to explore some of these things that, uh, are so interesting to me in my personal life. Do you think any part of what we've been through, is there a like a spiritual dimension? I've heard people say we've been in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual war. This is good versus evil. Those things. Um, what's your view on that? Um, yeah, it, it, it's a good question. Um, to be honest, I, I haven't fully thought about it in in this context, but. Um, I mean, on, on one front, you're faced with the problem of being attached to your own ideas in such a rigid 
and immovable kind of way, um, which is, you know, the, the opposite of what's taught in something like Buddhism or other Eastern traditions where the ego, the ego self, which is the only kind of self which we operate in, right? It's the, the fact that, you know, I have my individual identity as Ravarora and you have your identity. These are all limited, you know, and small and um, prone to, to suffering and vulnerability and flaws of various kinds. The, the, the whole um, crux of many of many Eastern spiritual teachings is that you you want to let go as much as possible of the small self because the small self is, is destined to fail and to be flawed and do wrong and correct things. So, you know, it's, it, I feel like in COVID um, people have wrongly become overly attached to these views on vaccines and lockdowns and masks and this tribalistic thinking and have failed to, uh, recognize that these ideas are not who they really are and that they are something much bigger and they can they can admit when they're wrong they can concede error um and that they can you know be humble and and forgive themselves and forgive others uh, in a way that is in line with their their ethical values but in, instead we saw uh so much bitterness and hatred and just the opposite of love and compassion um in COVID that was that was quite saddening to see. What do you think, just to, to round off, what do you think the future is for progressive media now? Because you know, um some of those um ideological positions of the progressive left are starting to kind of degrade a bit, aren't they? Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um certain positions have just proven to be disastrous. And one of them was the mass locking down, masking, vaccinating everyone um, with all all the serious adverse events that we've collected and all the data. Um, But similarly on BLM, the push to, you know, defund and abolish and dismantle police forces wreaked absolute havoc across the U S leading to, record-breaking rise in in homicidal violence across the u.s right massive increases many cities ushering back to 90s era uh homicidal violence um totally disproving and dismantling this view on the left that you can just go without the police that you know they cause more problems than they help etc so uh, i i and the same thing with this whole gender affirming care nonsense of you know you can put kids and teenagers on puberty blockers and you can just affirm whatever you know whatever they're saying and that there should never ever be any question or um concerns about radically accepting some new identity um etc i think you'll see a swing back on people who have just been scarred by these things i mean i i increasingly encounter this with people of like yeah you know my kid is is being indoctrinated in school in this particular way. And, you know, he's feels insecure by his identity. And now he thinks he's a girl and, Oh, I know someone who got injured by the vaccine. And I, you know, I know people in this community now that, you know, there's been a couple of cases recently in um, Philadelphia. And I think the other one was in New York of people who are very pro BLM and anti-police being gunned down and being tragically killed. And it's like, you know, the, 
they they advocated for some of these ideas for for you know for for racial justice and equity and dismantling law enforcement etc and they themselves become victim there's of- a kind of irony in that i mean i don't wish any violence on anyone don't get me wrong but it's it's cuz it's sort of crazy how the irony is dialed up in that way don't you think yeah yeah i mean it's it's just so tragic to see the outcomes of of bad ideas um being you know leading to the 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 demise of one's own life yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's so sad to see but that's um all too real it's what was all too harsh of a reality is that when you are imposing policies across the country across the world that um have such negative consequences and are um so deleterious in so many ways whether that's vaccine mandates whether that's abolishing police or imposing gender affirming care or mandating you know teachers to promote certain equity agendas it's uh um a lot of it can seem like it's the good thing to do that it's helping society but oftentimes it kind of unravels in real time in this uh dramatically uh tragic way where you realize that the best of intentions at times can lead to the most uh, dangerous and life deranging consequences. And and we've seen that quite a bit over the past couple of years uh, in in a way that uh, hopefully should lead to a, a swing back in the other direction in some, uh, in, in some healthy and hopefully sober minded and reasonable way. Well, Rav Aurora, we're going to look forward to seeing some of your pieces on the illusion of consensus on Substack. Thanks for coming on our radio station and having a chat. We appreciate it. And uh, all the best for the future. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.